teachings of, of John. And we've learned a lot about John this year. I mean, we have, we've been through the gospel account. We actually went through the gospel account three different times, each time with a different lens. Then we went through the book of Revelation, and we went chapter by chapter, verse by verse, going through uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, we took a brief pause for uh, 40 days and, and the book of Jonah, and then we came back to the what's called the Johannine uh, writings or the, 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 the writings of John, the apostle. And we have been, we finished up 1 John last week, and now we're in 2 John. 2 John is only one chapter. In fact, it's only 13 verses. But in that 13 verses, I can tell you this, and Cheryl can attest to this week, as far as sermon prep, um, those 13 verses were one of the most challenging in sermon prep. It was an incredible journey for me, and uh, yeah, I think, I think that you're going to see how rich those 13 verses are this morning. So, uh, you know, there's just so much going on. So that's where we're at. We're in Second John, and let me give you a little bit of uh, historical background uh, before we jump into uh, to this epistle. Uh, the first epistle of John, um, as well as the second, uh, was likely written in Ephesus. You may remember that when we went through the book of Revelation that uh, John was on the island of Patmos, and he has now been released from exile, and he is in the city of Ephesus. Uh, in fact, he is serving one of the church, the church at Ephesus. He's serving there. We're not sure if he is the the lead pastor. Keep in mind, Timothy uh, was the the pastor there. I don't know if he's still the pastor there, or John came alongside of him. But Timothy uh, has been a long uh, has a long uh, history with Ephesus serving as their pastor. Uh, you can remember that the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy when he was very young and pastoring the church at Ephesus. By this point, Timothy's much older, John is much older, and um, when he writes this second epistle, John writes this second epistle, uh, he addresses it to the elect lady, the elect lady. We're not entirely sure if he is talking about a specific woman uh, like, like saying, hey, to this particular woman that is saved, or is he using this term to refer to uh, the local church, uh, perhaps a house church? Uh, and he's writing to a, a house church, and her children are those who uh, attend this, this church, this house church. Uh, and it's very likely that the use of children are those that attend, the use of sister, uh, sister church, or a sister could be another church. We use that term even today. We might refer to another uh, down the street. I might say Peninsula Baptist that's just up the street from here. That's one of our sister churches. Uh, you might refer to it that way. Uh, so we're not really sure. But I will say this. Regardless of whether he is writing to, um, let's say, you know, the church or whether he is writing to a particular individual, the application, the meaning of the letter is the same. It doesn't change one iota. In fact, I would suggest this. It seems very applicable to apply to a church. And the reason I say that is because ultimately this letter is going to be circulated among the churches. And it's going to be included in the scripture for us. So clearly there's some intent for not just this individual to read the letter, but there is some intent for churches, 
even house churches, small churches, uh, to read uh, through this letter. And, and that's so important. So the historical context of the letter is really the same as 1 John. Uh, you keep in mind that John has been addressing false teachers. And he said it over and over and over again, uh, almost as if um, he, he, he sees something coming. It's, if he's writing in such a way that it's like, they're here now, and it's going to get worse. There's going to be false teachers, and I want to remind you to walk in love and walk in truth. And he's saying it over and over and over uh, to, uh, in 1 John, and he says it again in 2 John. So the, 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 the historical context is that he's writing again to address this, this false teaching of Gnosticism. Now, the false, the false premises of Gnosticism are twofold. Uh, we've, we've looked at this each week through the epistles. And the first one is this, that Gnosticism uh, teaches that all physical matter is inherently evil. Uh, anything that is physical is, is considered evil. Uh, the chairs are evil. Uh, the tables are evil. You are evil. And the reason is because you are made up of physical matter. Well, if you hold to that belief, then naturally what? How could you hold to a, a, a belief that God would come in the flesh? Because that would be, that would be contrary to their, their primary teaching of, of everything physical, everything that is of matter is sinful. Therefore, God could never manifest himself uh, as in the flesh. And that's exactly uh, what Jesus did. In fact, John says over and over and over again, he says, you know, if you deny that Jesus came in the flesh, then you are rejecting the very gospel. Uh, the gospel itself is that Jesus came into the world. So Gnosticism is teaching that. Uh, Gnosticism is also teaching that you don't need Jesus to be saved, that it's found from within, some special secret knowledge that if you had this elevated, enlightened thinking that you could turn inward, you would realize that you could save yourself. So Gnosticism is, and it's based on this enlightened knowledge. In fact, that's what the word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, means, like knowledge. We have this special knowledge, this secret knowledge on how to be saved. So you can see the problems with it. So keep in mind, there's a couple of things here. Keep in mind that John is the last of the 12 disciples. This is, uh, this is the 90s. This is the early 90s. Not 1990s, like literally the 90s. And, uh, you know, and uh, I mean, here John is, you know, what, you know, the last disciple. He's the young, he was the youngest of the 12. And now he's an old man. All of the other disciples, every single one of them, died a martyr's death. They either died from being speared, beheaded, uh, crucified, all sorts of different ways. But all of them have, have died a martyr's uh, death. Now, why does all of that matter? You ever heard someone say, last words are important? Well, these are the last words that are going to be written for the scriptures. You know, sometimes we think of Revelation as being the last words because it's in the book of Revelation, but he already wrote Revelation. He wrote that while he was on the island of Patmos. So now he's coming back and he's writing the first, second, and third John, the, the epistles. These are literally the last words of any of the apostles. This is the last letters that are going to be included in all of Scripture. 
So why is it important? Because John is the last of the disciples, and he is over and over emphasizing, know the love of Christ, know the truth about Christ, know truth, know what it is. So John's prevailing themes are those two things. Over and over he says, love one another and know the truth. Love one another and know the truth. He is insistent that we know the truth about what has, what, who Jesus is and what happened because he says there are false teachers. J- John actually calls them deceivers and antichrists, and they're trying to corrupt the gospel message. So Gnosticism ultimately does what? It rejects the incarnation of Christ, rejects the fact that God came in physical form to, to bring us redemption. Why they, do they reject that? Because all physical matter is inherently evil. And then Gnosticism rejects the idea of salvation by grace through faith. Instead, they believe in some secret uh, knowledge, some special knowledge. In summary, Gnosticism is a counterfeit in every major Christian doctrine. 